I call it managing happiness because you have to do certain things in order to to be happy, right? You have to kind of like, A, I think, figure out what you really want out of life because most people do not know what they really want of life. They just keep up with the Joneses and, you know, kind of doing this. It's, it's really hard to do that work, but you know, I think it's the most important thing you can do in your life to just first stop and sit down. Like, what do I actually really, really want? I walk people through, through the funeral exercise to kind of write your own eulogy, you know, but what people that are important for you in your life say when you're laying there in the casket, this often brings a lot of clarity and they can begin with the end in mind and kind of walk backwards and help people to define their mission and vision in the most important areas of their life. Their, them as the professional, them for themselves, mind, body, spirit, and them as the uh, family person, like family or relationships in your life. And how do you want to show up there? What's your mission and vision in these areas? And what are your goals in these areas? And what are your OKRs in these areas, your objectives and key results? This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. You know, I designed and created the Impact podcast and what was formerly known as the Anthropology podcast simply because I wanted a vehicle or mechanism or platform to have conversations with incredible people. I was not that individual who would march on up to the front of a room at a conference, tell the keynote speaker how amazing I thought they were, and then not know what to say next. I admired those people who would walk up and initiate that conversation and then simply step away. That just, I did, I just literally did not know how to manage that. And so this was not some business plan I had. This wasn't a, platform that I, where I created this grand vision, it was simply a tool to facilitate having deep, meaningful conversations. And that is exactly what I was able to achieve today. My guest is someone that I met at a mastermind event several months ago, and we just happened to hit it off. We were curious about one another's paths, where we were going next, how we thought about businesses, how we created businesses. And it was just one of those conversations and interactions that was deeply meaningful to me. And so I am excited today to introduce you to one of my new friends. David Hensel is a veteran entrepreneur. He has 20 years experience building successful companies. And he doesn't just get an itch and arbitrarily go and design something new. He has a formula for how he designs successful business. In fact, David has a formula for how he designs his successful life. And David has taken his talent and skill in being able to design predictably positive and successful businesses, and he's applied it to happiness and mindset in his own life. And so while we delve into the realm of David's business experience on this conversation today, where we really go is talking about what systems we need to have in place, what structure needs to exist so that we can cultivate and manage and implement happiness and have access to happiness in our lives? How can we cultivate a mindset that enables us to drive from a place of love and not fear? These are the passion projects that David has put out into the world now. He's applied his business tools to cultivate a system of habit creation so that we can have more love, less fear, and greater happiness in our lives. It is my pleasure for you to have a chance to get to know David Hensel in our conversation today. 
David Hensel. Welcome to Impact. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, I am looking forward to this conversation. We finally had to make a decision that we were just going to hit start and record because we were having our own uh, mini podcast self-exploratory conversation uh, beforehand. And I was I did step into a place of fear where we were going to miss uh, like pure gold uh, <laughs> if we didn't hit record. So uh, we are going to jump in. And, and as we do that, you know, I've, I've shared with my audience a little bit about how we first met and uh, encountered one another. But I'm wondering before we talk about that and we talk about your businesses and we talk about some of your passion projects, can you share with our audience a little bit about uh, your story as a multifaceted entrepreneur? Being super transparent and going like very far back, I was always a trouble student. I went to 14 different schools. I got kicked out everywhere. My parents raised me without authority, so I just like didn't fit into this. And I was pretty lost at some point, didn't know what to do with my life. And then a friend of mine said, like, hey, man, you could put computers. How about we start a business together? I'm like, nothing else going on, so let's do it. And then I found entrepreneurship, and this was like, ah, you know, I found my thing where I can just do what I want to do. And, you know, school also was kind of, because we'll talk about love and fear. I was always acting out of fear, you know, to get bad grades or whatever. And not, I was, you know, really good in school if I liked the topic. If I didn't like it, I could not care, you know didn't care didn't didn't perform but anyhow so i found entrepreneurship um and i've started multiple businesses and mid 2000 early 2000s i saw the startup ecosystem in the united states i'm originally from germany and i was really drawn to that so i decided to sell my business in germany which was an e-commerce business moved to los angeles and co-founded max cdn which was a content delivery network which uh, we sold successfully in 2015, had a really nice exit. And since we'll talk about mindset and impact and kind of reasons um, to do things wise, my wife went through breast cancer back then. And this was a big wake up moment for me. That made me, you know, question, since the story, you know, the, the title of the podcast is Impact, I saw myself on my deathbed looking back at my life, thinking, did I really do what I was supposed to do? Did I have the impact that I wanted to have? Did I really live a life that I think was well-lived? And I was missing the impact piece back then uh, at Maxi. And even though it was like a really fun business, amazing team, so doing cool stuff, but I, I, I didn't see the impact back then. So I talked to my business partners and we sold the business. And then we moved to Bodrum, Turkey, my wife wanted to go back to Germany to be close to family. I could not go back to German weather conditions. So we ended up here and we were very happy here. And I've been thinking about like how can I have more impact? And um, something that my wife and I have been doing for a while is applying business principles to our personal lives, which started when I came home after a meeting about the roles and responsibilities in my business back then. And I was sitting on the couch. My daughter, Emma, had a full diaper. And I said, like, hey, honey, look, Emma has a full diaper. And my wife exploded. Got really upset because she thought I'm telling her to change the diaper, which was not my intention. I was just like tired to make an observation. But then I had this light bulb moment of thinking like, hey, we never talked about the roles and responsibilities in the household. And the next morning we sat down and just like did that and wrote down what do I expect of her and vice versa, which took away 80% of the friction we had in our relationship. So I thought, holy cow, if this works so well, maybe we can take other aspects of business and apply it to our personal lives. You know, now we have our family core values, uh, mission, vision values, regular meetings, shared calendars, shared task uh, management, and all that stuff that works in business worked really well. 
in our, our family life. And so I created a course called Managing Happiness. It was good, but I only had a 7% completion rate on the course. And since this was about impact, not about making money, it really bugged me. I like, what can I do to get this into people's heads? And I started cohort-based coaching, which worked really well. I have a 93% completion rate from 7 to 93, so kind of really flipped this on its head. But I didn't have a software that, that made my life easy in regards to this. And so we started with a group habit tracker, because I'm also a big believer that habits determine pretty much everything in your life. And I love positive peer pressure. So we start with a group habit tracker and then we added more and more and more to it. And at some point we had a really cool software for coaches. And I reached out to a mutual friend and now my business partner, Todd Herman, back then I didn't really know him that well. And I said like, hey, Todd, I built a coaching software, even though I'm not a coach by trade. I want to, you know, can I send you a Loom video that explains it? And he responded to a Loom video with like, this solves 80% of my business problems. Can I please invest and be your business partner? Like, cool. And so, um, yeah, this, these are my two passion projects right now. And along the way, I um, started a bunch of businesses, software as a service businesses and outsourcing businesses because I read Conscious Capitalism. For those of you not familiar with this, it's by John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods. The idea is a normal business is just there to make the owners of the business rich, increase shareholders' value, and a conscious business does good by all stakeholders, like, uh, meaning suppliers, customers, employees, society, uh, the planet, etc. And this was like really resonated with me, so I have like another avenue of, of having impact. Okay, there's a there's a bunch of stuff that I want to unpack here. And there's a few things that you're just like, well, you know, I just I, I learned about entrepreneurship and then I just started multiple businesses and then I moved to LA and, and I do want to back up. And I was kind of alluding to this nature of questions beforehand because I think that I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are maybe even I'll call them accidental entrepreneurs. They they they're like, I'm a doctor and I have to run my own business and that is inconvenient to me. And so I'm going to learn this whole entrepreneurship thing. And it kind of consumes their whole, consumes their whole life. And there, it wasn't part of their identity. And this idea of like, I just started multiple businesses feels like uh, someone talking from another planet. So like, I actually just want to go back there because what I do, I'm obsessed with this notion of people opting themselves out of conversations. And what I don't want anyone to do is Go right back to the beginning of the story and be like, well, I couldn't start multiple businesses. Can't even imagine what that would look like. And so I'm opting myself out. So I want to opt everybody in and break. Like, I want to go deep on this for a second. When you say you started multiple businesses, like, what did that look like? Like, what was the zero to one on any one of these businesses? Just so we can give people a sense of what this actually looks like. So let me... um. Also, back up a little bit, something that allows me to have multiple businesses is I'm an organizational development nerd. So I like to like systematize things similar to managing happiness, you know, applying business principles to our personal lives. This is something that is just comes to me very naturally. And I read a book called Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, teaching you the EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which blew my mind because all these things that this thing teaches, I lived through with a lot of blood, sweat and tears and failures. In, in previous businesses and like just along the way. And uh, in this book, it's like battle tested and I was like absolutely blown away. So all of my businesses are running on EOS now. And I also have business partners that are absolutely amazing, general managers or business partners. And I usually start a business and then I manage myself out of the process, you know, kind of like each 
different departments. And, you know, in the beginning, you juggle lots of balls and you get the ball rolling. And then I manage myself out and replace them once enough revenue is there in the business. I manage myself out. And I like starting businesses by scratching my own itch. For example, UpCoach was started because I needed coaching tool and i asked the cto of one of my businesses like hey man can you build me this thing and the other itch or ltv plus my outsourcing business for customer support i just saw the need at my last business we had this problem that we could not hire people to do cover our night support shift in america and we could not really find people that were willing to work night so we started hiring overseas and this became like our secret weapon at Max City and that we were able to hire really good people for a very reasonable amount of money overseas. And so I just want to pass this on to other entrepreneurs to make it make it easier for them. So I guess like it's always like somewhere else just finding ways to provide value to others and scratching my own edge. Not sure if I really answered your question. No, that's okay though. You know, like when I I just want to give people context for this because after I had met uh, David, of course we were having a conversation and of course I went deep looking at all the things you were at. And then I looked at the full complement of businesses that you had founded and are currently in operation. And I, like, I, I clearly saw that you worked in the online space because I sat there and went, Oh, that solves this problem I have. And this one solves this problem I have. And this one solves this problem I have. So I can see in real time, this like itch satisfaction piece. And, you know, I'll just share for my for my listeners, like the first business I ever started, I started because I was fired from my first and only job. And my parents were very much like, it is not an option for you to just sit around on the dock all summer and enjoy the sunshine. Like, what are you going to do? And so I sat, I sat on the dock for a day and I stared out at the lake and there were all these cottages and all these islands. And I mean, these were people with be- like beautiful cottages on the island. And as this was happening, there was someone at my cottage who was like cleaning up and tidying up. And I went, I bet all the people on the islands would like to have their cottages clean too. It's just logistically challenging. And so I made a flyer and it went around and I was like cleaning services for cottages and it blew up. It blew up in like a week and a half. And then the next summer I had five people working for me. And then the next summer I had 11 people. And then I sold this business to pay for med school on the other side because all of these islands wanted people. And I just dropped them all off in my little tin boat in the morning and went back and sat on the dock. So when we talk about this idea of like scratching an itch and sort of like, what two problems do I need to solve? And can I build something? I'm not sure if your stories are like that, but like that was my first business. There was no financial risk. I just happened to have this little boat and literally stared at this problem. And I was like, oh, I can, I can just make a simple solution for this need that's out here. Is that, is that what it feels like to you now when you're satisfying these itches or seeing these problems? You just you make these simple solutions? Yes. I also love to build businesses where I do not need to invest like heavily that are like, you know, very low overhead and ideally are not cash suck businesses. What I mean by this is, for example, in my outsourcing businesses, when we hire some customer support rep or a team of them, when we start working with a customer, the customer pays us right away. Like the first day we we collect the money and we pay the customer support rep after one month. So we always have positive cash flow. It doesn't matter if you know, you, you ask for a thousand people, we can do this. This will not mess us up. But if we would say like, okay, you pay after two months or like big customers come in and say like, hey, could, can we pay on invoice? Like after 60 days, we're just like, no, we can, we cannot do this because this will mess us up. We also do credit card upfront. So 
we will never have to run after collections. You know, so like having a few few of these things, it, it, it makes it much easier to start a new business. And also, once you have been in a space for a while, it and you have a good reputation, you always play the long game and you dare to provide value to people. Once you launch a new one, say like, hey, you know, now I have this, and then your existing customers or people that know you just like post on social media and they go like, right. I believe strongly in the long game. We alluded to this when we were we were chatting before, but I think this is a really valuable piece to look at because I know one of the pieces you're like, let's talk about mindset, and then I I want to talk about mindset. But what I also am hearing you allude to are a series of decisions that actually support really strong states of mindset. Like you are designing businesses in such a way that you are not drowning in capital intensive new initiatives. You're saying yes to businesses that match a certain series of rules. You're making decisions that really are like creating a self-fulfilling prophecy in a really positive way is that partly what speaks to your capacity to access mindset yeah and i guess also i i have a condition called aphantasia so i cannot create images in my mind and i cannot recreate sounds taste smells or emotions so i think like in i think in patterns or like in logical logical patterns i guess this is how my mind works and so i just see things if they if they work or if it if they don't work then i don't do them anymore for example, looking for business partners, I love the mantra of like, how you do one thing is how I do everything. So when I meet somebody, I'm always playing the long game. I meet them at a conference or whatever, and I meet them like a bunch of times. And then I see how they act with other people. Do they when they say like, hey, I'm gonna send you something? Do they actually really follow up on this? Or it's, it's a really good filter and you know, guess pattern recognition. And if they you know drink way too much, take too many drugs, or um cheat on their wives then they'll happily cheat on you in business as well you know so i guess it's the pattern recognition i guess yeah and and the congruency of those those values i've i have not had an example that is so clear to me where someone's making a decision that reinforces mindset as what you just described but what i often see on the converse and we can talk about this idea of like accessing happiness or or accessing love uh, over fear is that people have a fear and then I watch them make a decision that puts them into a financial state, a mindset state, a marital state that reinforces or self-actualizes that fear. And I can see this pattern, that self-fulfilling prophecy on that side as well. And so I was really curious about, in general, this relationship between our, our decisions and our happiness or our decisions and our ability to exist in a state of love over fear as opposed to like sheer mindset. Like, What is mindset? to you is it is it psychological conditioning or is it circumstantial like how how are you able to access a mindset that makes you powerful let me let me tell you the love not fear story and how i came came up with this how i found this and how i'm using it in my life i'm a recovering introvert i used to be super duper introverted like being on a podcast would have never happened in a million years like 15 years ago like no way like speaking on stage if you said like hey speak in front of this thousand people I would prefer, or shoot yourself in the face, I would have shot myself in the face, you know, with a smile. Being so shy and introvert, I was like, meetings with my own team, I felt horrible doing it. Being on a conference call with somebody, like, I was, yeah, I was re really introvert. And so I saw another MM, MMTer, uh, who's briefed in MMT, Syed Bark, he was one of my best friends now. I saw him crush it at conferences, public speaking and networking, I saw how much fun he had and how good this was for his business. I was like, ah, I want this as well. 
I did Toastmasters. It's like public speaking classes twice a week. And I went to two networking events per week and talked to everybody and their mother, even though this was like very uncomfortable in the beginning. I just like pushed myself to do it, created a habit out of it. I think habits determine everything in your life. If you're rich or poor, happy or unhappy, you'll be so in shape. It all boils down to which habits you cultivate. And this worked. It got better. But then my yoga teacher said, every decision in life, you either make out of love or out of fear. And this was like this big, like, holy cow moment for me. Because this was something I always knew deep down inside. And now that she gave me this pattern recognition thingy, you know, so, uh, or this, this mantra, I've been applying this to everything that I'm doing. For example, being on a podcast, you know, before I would have thought, like, oh, do they think I look weird? Do they think I have a weird German accent? Do they think what I'm saying is stupid? Then I can't present because it's about me and I'm full of fear versus if I think, hey, what I'm sharing, it can help your audience to um, run their business better or, you know, be more successful in life, then it's, it's very, very easy for me to do. Or sales, I used to hate sales with a passion. I always felt like a used car salesman pushing something somebody down somebody's throat. But we're a startup, you know, so we have to sell or we die, you know, or have to pay my mortgage, etc. And yeah, it's always felt bad. But now when I'm selling and I know like, hey, this product is good for you, I can even be pushy. They're like, Megan, buy this. It's going to help you so much. And you feel where I'm coming from that I actually have your best interest at heart. And then it becomes, becomes super, super easy for me. How do we get people to a place where they can, they can live this? So I'm thinking about my audience. They're like, I also hate sales. I also don't <laughs> want to talk. Like, I do have all these fears. I like, like, I'm, I'm open, love, not fear. Okay. But like, actually, how do I make that, that jump? Is it habits that come first? Is it just like bold, courageous leaping? Like, how do we go from, I would really like to have that, but also I'm not ready. I think first, like being aware of it and kind of like, you know, having reminders of like the love, not fear stickers everywhere. Um, by the way, check out lovenotfear.com. There's a video that explains it a little more detail. Of course you have lovenotfear.com. <laughs> um, so I guess it starts first with the awareness of it. And then, you know, I always like kind of use my the emotions that I feel as a filter. Like, do I feel good about something? I lean in. Does it not feel good? I take a step back and think like, why does this not feel good? Is it something that's not aligned with my values? Do I not want this? Or is it something that I actually want, but I like outside of my comfort zone? And then I reframe my mindset, thinking like, hey, for example, with sales, if I think it's a good product that can actually help you, then I will do it anyway. For example, one of my businesses is Octet. It's a on-premise email and SMS sending software. And the founder, Jem, uh, he is very gifted developer, but also hyper introverted. And he hated sales and he had a really hard time selling. And I told him, like, see yourself as a doctor who has the pill, who can cure the pain of the person. Just got to give it to him. And this really flipped it in his mind. And he, he's crushing it. And he's looking for bigger and bigger customers and bigger deals because he gets a kick out of it to actually help. You know, we mentioned Todd before, uh, our mutual friend, my business partner, Todd Herman, he wrote The Alter Ego Effect. So he also, the concept of like that you create an alter ego. For example, Beyonce, she was uncomfortable dancing half naked on stage because she was brought up very christian and so she created this alter ego called sasha fierce and when she goes on stage she turns into sasha fierce and then it becomes easier for her to do that and jam actually has like a little playmobil doctor figure that he has like put on his computer uh, so he always gets reminded of like that he wants to be in that mindset i love the alter ego 
concept. I remember when uh, Todd's book came out and I, I didn't know him very well. Then I came up, I went up to him. And I'm like, I've been doing this. Like, like half the people he profiles in the book. I'm like, I've been doing this my whole life. I have this complete different uh, alter ego who steps out on stage or does like bold, courageous things. And it was one validating that I wasn't like alone in, in this, this thing I designed in my own brain. Um, but two, it like, what a powerful tool until you just get so used to taking that courageous action or you get so used to feeling what love over fear feels like it's okay to hand this to another facet of your personality um i found it such an incredible and powerful tool doing doing it over and over once you do it same with me like going exposure therapy you just do it do it do it in the beginning it feels horrible or like listening to a recording like recording videos of myself i used to hate i was like so i could not i recorded i didn't play it back because i could not hear it right it made me so uncomfortable and now i just it's, nothing happens anymore just do it when you're talking about exposure therapy what are you talking about like are you talking about cold water plunging are you talking about no exposure therapy like going to toastmasters and public speaking going to networking events right. and just like talking to everybody and their mother even though it's so uncomfortable exposing you to the thing pushing your boundaries getting out of your comfort zone and you just get used to it. What's the next next edge or frontier for you? What's the thing you're like, Oof, this is going to push me to the edge of my comfort zone? Leaning fully into managing happiness and my, my passion businesses. At the last MMT event, by the way, Mastermind Talks, really great uh, conference where we both met. We did this, um, let me see if I still have the paper here. I did, we did the exercise from what's the book immunity to change is the book the author was there and he did this exercise with us where if you want to do something so you hit the gas but subconsciously you pump the brakes kind of figuring out like why are you doing this and with the managing happiness the thing was that you know i want to like i started leaning into it like a bunch of times but then like oh i started other business so i get distracted with this so i've always found ways to not do it by doing this exercise which is quite amazing actually you find the hidden commitments that you have so because I believe that managing happiness, doing this, is my actual mission in life, I'm scared to lean into it because if I feel like if I fail at this, I fail at life. And so this is why I've been like kind of really, uh, yeah, has, has been hard for me. And also, I guess, yeah, another thing why I have a hard time leaning into it because I think it's like, because I care so much about it, like what does it, if, if it fails, for example, every time I do no cohort with eight people, every time before the call, I think like, oh, nobody will come. And nobody will get value from it. Nobody will like it. And like everybody always comes and people love it. And I get great testimonials. But somehow I have like this, I don't know. And this has like been an ongoing thing for me. So how are you working through that? Because that, what you just articulated, I think is the, is the secret fear that so many people sit in. You know, when I work with practitioners who are challenged as they grow their business, I think they're confronted with that. They went, listen, like, I spent $150,000 on my education or more, and I gave up four years of working, and I believe that this can change the world, and I can't get people to buy it. Like, what does that mean? I, 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 like, I think that what you just described there sort of hits the nail on the head and acknowledges like, the truth behind the self-sabotage and the fear and, mm -hmm. and all of these other elements. How are you dismantling this and leaning in anyway? 
So one, one thing I've been tracking, like uh, with how I spend my time in the day, and do I dedicate enough time to managing happiness? And another thing is like sharing stuff on social media is like another thing that I've been, you know, being the recovering introvert, it's something that's always uncomfortable. So recording new videos, etc. So I'm just like, I'm tracking, I'm measuring like business 101, what you measure will improve. So I'm measuring like, am I doing enough in this regard? Do I spend enough time on this? You know, being, being a habits person, I like to make it easy for myself. So my chief of staff and I have like a copywriter who's amazing. I have like, I schedule meetings with them throughout the week. So I'm, and then sometimes she just like sits there, watch, watch me record videos and like give some feedback on it. Just like to, you know, I want to I'll create the environment that makes it easy for me to do the stuff that I want to do. So, you know, with, with habit creation, if you take out your, your sport shoes, you, you make the good things you want to do easy and you want to make the things you do not want to do hard. For example, like, you know, hide the peanut butter, do not buy any snacks so you don't have them at home. Like remove the remote TV remote batteries and like unplug the TV. So yeah, like it's it's a hurdle to, to do that. So I guess this is like my my way of approaching this. I feel like, again, we're doing this pattern, David, where you're like, I, I take actions that support the mindset feeling thing I want to have as opposed to just like being paralyzed by the feeling. Like, I, again, I feel like I'm observing this, right? You're taking actions that move you forward to be able to access that higher emotional state as opposed to having the emotional state before you'll take action. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I guess due to Aphantasia, I'm not dwelling that long in, in emotional states. And, you know, if it doesn't doesn't feel good, I, you know, I take a step back and contemplate, like, how can I work around this? How can I fix this? How can I create the environment that makes this easier for me? Like working out on a regular basis, I have a personal trainer who comes to my house three times a week at 6 a.m. And he just, he's there, even if I didn't, do not feel like it, I didn't sleep enough or whatever. The guy's there at 6 a.m. And then I'll, you know, otherwise, worst case, he'll ring the bell if I don't hear him text me. And then the house wakes up and we have 10 dogs and they all wake up and say, I don't want to do this to my wife. So I'll just get up and do it. So I guess like if you can create, you know, your accountability partner or somebody that helps you to actually do this, for example, in, in your practice with, with maybe creating accountability buddies that, you know, have to have the same goal. And then they kind of like do this together, meet, meet up once a day checking on each other, etc. I, I love positive peer pressure. I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love positive peer pressure too. And I, uh, I'm like, I'm still, I'm staying in, I'm a state of dumbfoundedness, David, because I really want you to like, I'm watching your face and you're like, this is just what, this is really obvious, Megan. I'm like, what you are describing is actually unconventional. It is the opposite of what most people do. Most people are like, I would love to have this thing and I'm just going to wait or keep thinking or like watch another podcast or documentary or Brene Brown special until I am fully in the emotional state that will enable mm. me to start to take action and build the habits. And what I'm hearing you say is, I have this thing I want to do. And so I'm going to build the habits that make the mindset a byproduct of the success of the habits. You can't sustain a mindset. It's just way too hard. You know, you want to like set yourself up for success. Yeah, the courage won't come in the mail. Like it's this. I say this a lot to people. I'm like, competence and confidence is the byproduct of like repeated courageous action. You've got to like, you have to move. You like, it doesn't just arrive. You're not just given confidence and courage. Like it is, it's a decision and action that results in that piece. So, your pattern, as we were talking about pattern, you have this repeated pattern of putting the action in front of the emotional peace it's the love not fear like you're literally creating the habits that enable you to access the love and the love not fear loop 
It's the love, not fear loop. And it's different. It's actually different than what a lot of people do. Although I can see on your face, it feels really obvious to you. And so if we kind of transition this, because you spoke at the beginning about something that I'm very curious about, and this is like this idea of managing happiness and like managing it, not how do I have more happiness? Where do I find happiness? What can I drink to get happiness? What Netflix special are you currently watching to make you happy? (laughs) But like managing it, like just the word manage is an active piece. Can we talk a little bit about how you help people access, you know, access happiness? in their life because it's clearly not a mindset first activity for you i called it managing happiness because you have to do certain things in order to to be happy right you have to kind of like a i think figure out what you really want out of life because most people do not know what they really want of life they just keep up with the joneses and you know kind of doing this it's it's really hard to do that work but i think it's the most important thing you can do in your life to first stop and sit down like what do i actually really really want I walk people through the funeral exercise to kind of write your own eulogy, you know, but what people that are important for you in your life say when you're laying there in the casket, this often brings a lot of clarity and they can begin with the end in mind and kind of walk backwards and help people to define their mission and vision in the most important areas of their life. Them as the professional, them for themselves, mind, body, spirit, and them as the uh, family person, like family or relationships in your life. And how do you want to show up there? What's your mission and vision in these areas? And what are your goals in these areas? And what are your OKRs in these areas? Your objectives and key results. And then you measure this. So this is like one part of it. The other part of it is habits. Because as I mentioned before, habits determine everything in your life. And then based on your goals, like, uh, and we do the wheel of life exercise in the beginning where you rate yourself on, you know, from zero to 10 in the different areas of your life. And then the areas that you want to improve, figure out which habits do you want to or can, can you start doing in order to improve this this area of your life? So if you're whatever you you feel in terms of social interactions you you you're lacking, then schedule two dinners per per week with with friends or go to a networking event or whatever. You know, kind of like find habits that support your goal. And uh, we do this together in cohorts of eight people. Uh, the positive peer pressure works really well. It's an it's an eight week program. And my big vision for this is to turn this into the Toastmasters of personal development, where it's like self-organized groups where people meet and help each other to figure out what they really want and then hold each other accountable that they actually do the steps they want to take to get to this place. uh, Supportive of this is like, of course, like lots of mindset stuff, like uh, stoic philosophy and like helping people to get into the right mindset that they actually do the things they want to do and not hold themselves back. How does your wife resonate with this type of model? Like as you're talking about it, my brain, as I, this is a co- topic I've been exploring more. And so it's a lens that I see things through, which is like the masculine and feminine energy of, of action. And I don't mean male, female. I really mean that, that energy. This is really structured. And every part of me that has always done things structured is like, totally get this. And then the part of me that I'm exploring that's just like, go with the flow and be less rigid is like, oh, so there's like a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of framework. So I, like, I'm, I'm really curious, like when you put this piece into play in your own family, and then when you're putting it into play in your cohort, speak to me about the feminine energy overlying the structure of managing happiness. So first of all, in terms of like structure, I think structure brings freedom. And, um, you know, for example, let's say, I agree. And also planning brings freedom. Let's say you want to 
a friend of mine does this every other Sunday. He's responsible to plan out the Sunday, and then the next one, his wife is able uh, is, is responsible to plan out the Sunday. So they have a plan to actually do something cool. Or if you want to watch a movie, like pick some movie that you want to watch versus like sitting there and like browsing through Netflix and then you end up on your phones and you will not want to do anything. So I like to have a plan and agenda, but I'm also totally cool like to throw it out the window and not use the agenda. So I think this brings freedom. And my wife did not like it at first, um, but she saw the benefits of it. You know, after we had like our roles and responsibilities spelled out, this like just made our life so much easier. And, you know, having... Uh, I'd say she's like, oh, I'll do everything, you do nothing. Then we can just like pull this list and I say like, okay, no, actually I'll do this, this, <laughs> and this and you do this and this and this and we can move things around. Totally cool. But they, this took away a lot of the... It gets renegotiated if you need to. It gets, yeah. And you have like a, a foundation of like easy communication or like, you know, it's it just me. Or we also meet and in our family meetings and we bring up things that annoy me about her and vice versa. And then we work on them or like we, we brainstorm together. What can we do to make sure this never happens again? Or how, how do we fix this? And then we're not like, usually when you're, when you're in a fight, then you just want to win the argument. You don't necessarily want to find a solution for this. But when you, you know, for example, mm-hmm. in business, when your head of revenue is not bringing in the money, you would never yell at him or her. You'd say like, you know, Hey, like what's missing? Like we need more marketing budget. We need a different person here, there. And you come up with your solution oriented. And so when you're in this good mindset, then you can come up with these solutions together and we've like soft amazing stuff in that that way and so she i guess she saw the benefit and this is why she caved in then i love it when you talked about your vision for um managing happiness moving into like you know the toastmasters of of personal development if i was asked you to just like create a, a succinct statement around this and uh, this is usually the last question i ask but i'm going to lead it into these final questions what do you want your legacy of impact to be? So I want to, I want that love, not fear, and managing happiness impact a billion people, like improve their lives in in a positive manner. That's the impact that I want to have. And uh, in terms of metrics, right now my metric is that thirty um, percent of the people who do the managing happiness course start their own. So just like you know, kind of becoming like a an MLM for good in, in in a way. In terms of metrics, that's like the one that I'm aiming for. An MLM for good. I absolutely love that description. I've got a few quick questions for you, uh, David, to help support that piece. So that that's the action. MLM for good is the action we're going to see. When you are working towards that and you need to cultivate courage at a moment's notice, how do you put yourself into a courageous state? Love not fear, taking a step back and, you know, like, it's not feeling good, like, but... I can come up with a logical reason that it's actually the right thing to do and that it makes sense. And then I can, can lean in and just like park my, park my fears. What's your biggest non-negotiable? I have a lot of non-negotiables. What's my biggest non-negotiable? You can mention more than one. It's no rules. I, I always play the long game, you know, kind of like having, um, I have a not to do list, so there's like a bunch of non. I mean, it's not necessarily a non negotiable. Um, okay, what's on your not to do list? So, on my not to do list is, um, for example, do not eat after 9 p.m. because I just like found out I haven't, so nothing actually in managing happiness and all, in all of my businesses, I have an error log. In some businesses, they call it the improvement log because they don't like the, the, the negative sound of it. But the idea is that 
every time something is not going right, we write it into the error log. Customer complaint, launch messed up, whatever it is. And then, um, you know, what happened? When did it happen? Who was affected? Is it fixed? And then most importantly, what can we do to make sure this never happens again? Which standard operating procedure can we change to make sure this gets fixed? And so I also have this for myself. So, um, for example, do not eat after 9 p.m. because I know if I, if I eat after 9 p.m., aside from gaining weight, I will get an energy burst and I will not go to bed until 2 a.m. And at 6 a.m. my trainer comes and that's not a good thing, right? Another one is um, do not travel more than 10 days per month without your dynamic, which is my wife my daughter. My wife always complained like, hey, you're traveling all the time. Um, and so we sat down in uh, family meetings and I was like, okay, how much travel a month is acceptable? 10 days. Cool. What if I have to travel more? You bring me an Emma. Done. You know. So this and so this becomes, uh, yeah, I guess from error log to um, not to do list. I love that. What is your motivational beverage of choice? Um, I do not have one. I do not drink alcohol, and I also do not. I just stopped again. I go on and off, but I also do not ca- consume caffeine. I think it's not good to expose yourself to neural stimulants all the time. So, um, yeah, so th- there's none. Mine is currently La Croix. La Croix. I got it right okay. here. Just, just in front. Just more. It's just sparkling water. That's it. But it's like my thing. I look forward to every few hours. This here. It's from Inner Engineering Sadhguru. In case you, you know, Sadhguru is like some ginger, ginger coriander. coriander. Yeah, it's like a, like See? a coffee replacement. So I guess there, there's one. Yeah, because you said I love motivation. It. I love so like, there's like there's no motivation. It's just like something I enjoy. It's just something you enjoy. That's totally that's totally fine. Last question for you: Entrepreneurship. Were you born this way, or did you learn to become an entrepreneur? I was born this way because I do not fit into. Also, I was born and raised this way because my parents raised me without authority. I could go to school or to kindergarten or not. It was like really up to me. Um, I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day when I was 12, even though my mother was a doctor. And they told me like, you know, these are the, you know, you should not do this because of X, Y, Z reasons, but you have to make your own decisions. So yeah, I, I did not fit into um, the normal system. So I'm, I think I'm born to that, born and raised to do that. Well, I also think you are born and raised to have amazing, tremendous impact uh, in this world. It is always oh, a pleasure so. to be able to hang out with you. David, where can we send people to learn more about lovenotfear.com? I know I was listening. Um, and the Managing Happiness Project. Managinghappiness.com, lovenotfear.com, uh, upcoach.com, which in case, yeah, I think this could also be applicable for some of you. And also hensel.com if you want to um, see my portfolio of, of companies. Amazing. We're going to hook everybody up with all of the links to the global empire that David is running. <laughs> you can catch those links at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. David, thank you. Like always, it's such a pleasure. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate you. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.